Welcome, everyone, to week 12 of the Take the Points College Football Podcast. My name's Tom. My co-host, live via Zoom from Arizona, Ryan and Dan. I'm going to jump right into it. I've got breaking news that I think you guys are going to have some kind of opinion on, and I don't know where you're going to take it. Maybe you've heard this already. I hope you haven't, because I really would like to get a live reaction. This is from uh, SB Nation State of the U, which is their Miami uh, hurricane subsite. I've seen it reported in a couple other places, so it possibly legitimate. Uh, report filed uh, earlier today, Lane Kiffin would leave Ole Miss for the University of Miami if the Hurricanes head coaching job were to open. Gentlemen, your thoughts. There's been a whole lot of Lane leaving Ole Miss talk this week, and it's funny that now, finally in 2021, his name pops up for all the elite jobs where we've been saying for the past four years that he is the most likely candidate who would do well. Um, I don't know if he would leave the SEC to go to the ACC, but it is Miami, and the ACC sucks, and you can recruit in the state of Florida. He likes Florida. He likes to be on the ocean fishing. I know that. And if he had a powerhouse program at Miami, then he could smash the rest of the ACC and go undefeated and play in the playoff and try to win national titles. It makes a whole lot of sense, to be honest with you. I think there's only a few jobs that he would leave for at this point, and that might be one of them. So I'm going to say yes. Ryan, yes, yay or nay? I'm torn. I like Lane as kind of like the underdog in the SEC with with Uncle Nick. You know, it's just fun. I like that. I like that him and Jimbo kind of don't like each other and kind of get into it a little bit. Like, I don't know. I mean, I guess probably him and Dabo would, would probably butt heads a little bit with Clemson, but uh, I don't know. I'm torn on it. I think it's best for his career. Like Dan said, everything was perfectly laid out for them to pounce on Clemson and take dominance of not just the ACC, but the entire state of Florida with Florida state and Florida in complete disaster zone right now, he has a chance to take Miami and be the, program of the state and that's pretty big you know in mississippi you just gotta basically beat mississippi state to own the state florida there's like six seven teams you know three big ones so it's better for his career he'll get to the playoff he'll get bags of cash celebrity status in a celebrity town you know, courtside at the Miami Heat games, right as the Heat are probably, you know, on their way to the Eastern Conference Finals, most likely. So it's probably the right move. I heard this a few days ago, actually. It was, it was, uh, it came out that um, Nevin Shapiro has been saying that it's, it's going to happen. And yeah, that's who they he's the one that paid article. all the players. Yeah, the yeah, fam- he, famed he, booster. Yeah, he's the one that paid all the players back in the day. So he's the one that's saying it's going to happen, and he's the one with bags of cash. So, you know, if Lane has a brand-new boat and uh, 
along with his job. And then like all of a sudden he's like talking about like NFTs every other day on Twitter. Then we know that he got taken care of under the table, which has to get happen. It has to happen. Like that's how you get lane is you got to go under the table. So I want to tie this into something that we talked about the other day, you know, off the podcast, of course, but that is the, um, 2001 Miami hurricanes team, the greatest team of all time, potentially. Um, you know, we did this thing a few years ago and now ESPN just this week, or maybe just today released an article about, uh, the greatest team of all time. They're calling it, but I highlighted this one passage, um, which is this, um, that drive starts where this team starts. All right. Well, this won't make sense, but basically they're talking about, uh, 97 Miami and now and saying they're the same, you know, in 97, when Miami was at its lowest point as a football program in the midst of NCAA sanctions that reduced its scholarship total to 15 in that signing class. Um, we felt like we couldn't miss on anyone in recruiting says the strength and conditioning coach. We're trying to recruit the, recruit the foundation of what's to come for the next four years. We really dialed in on character, personality traits. Do they love football? Um, Ed Reed, I'm, I'm just going to paraphrase now, but Ed Reed apparently was a two-star safety, which I didn't realize. And they got transfers like Shockey and Bryant McKinney. Um, and they were building, rebuilding the character of Miami in addition to the talent. And so I read that earlier today. And then I read this news about lane and it was one of those moments where I was like, I had never really considered him going to Miami. You know, we talked about Florida or eventually Alabama, or we're, we're talking about teams that are much more marquee schools at this point. But as soon as I read that, it kind of clicked. I was like, yes, he would be perfect for Miami. I don't know if Miami's perfect for him right now, but he is the perfect coach for that team right now because he can do what they did in 1997, which is get some talent, but also rebuild the character, the uh, passion and like the confidence or even, you know, the cockiness, if you want to call it that of the team. So I feel like if anyone can bring the swag back to Miami, which is what they've needed historically to do well, I think it's lane. So I am now 100% for this. We know that Manny Diaz is uh, off the hot seat kind of for now, but he's been on the tarmac. And once you get on the tarmac, you don't get off. So, you know, it's only a matter of time. And uh, even though this would be at the time, I feel like a downward move for Lane. I feel like the ceiling is so much higher and the coolness factor is so much higher that uh, I have to support it. So, Lane to Miami. Let's start it now. I'm okay with it. Um, speaking of Miami, would you guys like to talk about the real life council of elders? You know, we have the segment called council of elders where we talk about um, bringing together like a super team of celebrities from one city to help a school. We started this four or five weeks ago with Miami and now, uh, Dan, maybe you can explain for those who don't know, but this week it basically happened in real life. Yeah, um, it actually happened at Miami. Um, a bunch of former players are huddling up and having a chat about the current state of affairs in Miami. And it will be released on video just a few days after the 
convention, I guess we should say, um, it's going to be great. It's not going to be very positive. They're not going to talk about how, how awesome things are going. Uh, <laughs> no, they're going to um, all I ask for this is that, you know, a lot of you go to these conferences and, you know, usually they'll, uh, they'll do introductions and they'll sort of show you a video in between, you know, when they're changing speakers and can we just at some point during this, you know, quote unquote conference, can they show the, uh, second floor goons or whatever that video was called. Do you know what I'm talking about? Second floor goons yeah. is not the name of it, but fourth floor. What was it? It was fourth floor, something, <laughs> something like that. I'll, I'll Google this, but you know what I'm talking about. It was fourth floor, something. I know that. Yeah. Anyway, it's going to be great. It's going to be like Michael Irvin, Ray Lewis, uh, Olson, um, Ed Reed, Andre Johnson, uh, Mount McKinney. Um, yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be, I, I don't really know exactly who's in the real life council of elders, but it's, it'll be pretty fantastic for sure. Seventh floor crew. Seventh floor crew. There we go. Featuring Greg Olson on vocals. Uh, yes. I Google it and one of the first ones, the first results just says the unfortunate rapping of Greg Olson. The fortunate rapping of Greg Olson should be the, the actual line. All right. So moving on from Miami, um, fellas, what do you want to talk about that happened last week, week 11, anything noteworthy? No, uh, there's nothing that really we need to talk about, which happened on the field. I don't believe, um, everything happened important off the field this past week. Uh, Georgia beat Tennessee. Uh, they gave up 10 points early. Then they clamped that shit down <laughs> until a garbage count time touchdown at, as usual. Um, Oregon beat Washington state Purdue tried to pull their third upset, but got run by Ohio state. Michigan and Penn State played a low-scoring snoozer as expected. The only thing that was good last week was that Oklahoma loss. We can go ahead and cross them off, uh, which is great. Um, no one wants to see them run around. And yeah, uh, our, our Cincinnati to the playoff plan is coming to fruition. They really only need help from like one or two more teams. It's looking good. And one of those is Oregon, is. who we expect to lose at some point soon. It's true. Uh, might be this week, but we'll see. Um, yeah, so it was pretty, it was pretty, uh, I don't know, two script type week, I guess you could say in uh, college football. Um, one thing I thought was interesting, I was watching the Washington state, Oregon game late and Oregon was trying to like score like, uh, a lame touchdown late to make the score look like it was more than it was. So they're running like a hurry up offense and they scored a touchdown with two minutes to go to go up 38, 17. Um, and then Washington state gave them the finger and they ran their own hurry up and ran down the field and scored a touchdown nine seconds left. And Cristobal went fucking ballistic. It was great. He was on the sideline, like screaming at people. And they're like 38, 24 final. And he was like, Oh, it's not what it was supposed to be. So that was a great moment in, uh, college football gambling if you had Washington State plus 14 and a half like last week so uh yeah very good very good stuff 
So uh, what else do you want to talk about in terms of the off the field stuff before we get into the lines? Um, I guess we can start in the state of Washington. We already know Washington state did have a coach with uh, Rolovich being fired. Then they moved on from their lame offensive coordinator, John Donovan, and now they've moved on from Jimmy Lake. So there are no coaches in the state of Washington. Both jobs are open. I'm hearing uh, Joe Moorhead as a potential candidate for Washington, which I think makes a lot of sense. I mean, I know we went to the SEC and it didn't work out, but that's the SEC. I think I think he go, if he goes to Washington, I think that's a pretty damn good fit there. But Washington's also crazy, and they think they're like a top 10 program in the country, and they're and there are some uh, names out there that are very unrealistic, uh, if you ask me. Um, so, yeah, good to see him fired. And then uh, go ahead, Ryan. You got <laughs> you got some uh, people in your wheelhouse this week. They just they are now crossed off your list. You got to take your little magic eraser, erase their names and put some new names in that spot. You're going to go insane trying to do the tarmac report this year. <laughs> I, I mean, you're like a. Charlie in that always sunny in Philadelphia where he just like gets the strings on the chalkboard and goes crazy. Yep. Helton, Orgeron, Lake. Who else we got? Butch Fuentes. That's five people been on the tarmac report. We've gotten fired already this year. That's insane. It's unbelievable. Ryan. (laughs) more, more, More than that. We had, we had the Georgia Southern coach on there before he got canned. We had, uh, we had uh, Willie Fritz. Isn't he's gone? Isn't he on the Fritz? I'm not sure. I'll look it up on the Fritz. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, Ryan. Uh, Talk about uh, your, your your firings this week. No, um, Willie Fritz Butch. is still employed, but not for long. Yeah, Butch, uh, the Butch in Florida, not the Butch in Arkansas. That's the most interesting story. Is that like him basically wanting like an extension and them saying no, and then him like coming out and just slamming the whole administration saying they're using like they got five-year-old shoulder pads from Mississippi state like four years ago and they're still using them. And like they have nine-year-old uniforms. Like, I mean, this was what happened when I played, you know, D2 college lacrosse. We had, you know, uniforms the same ones all four of my years and they were there before well before i got there now once the program got successful they started getting new uniforms every year but my four years we wore the same ones every season so that's pretty bush league that's like you know late 90s d2 lacrosse that's not exactly uh you know division (laughs) one football in the state of florida (laughs) Can I just interject and say that like what you just described is quite literally an episode of Entourage where Ari goes to his boss and tries to get a a renegotiation and then he gives him the offer. The piece of paper just says nothing and then he goes crazy and tries to trash the whole place on the way out. Which is Ari Gold. (laughs) Well, fair enough. (laughs) Oh, good. So everyone's getting the axe. The tarmac's getting harder and harder to do. It used to be hard because there were so many coaches. Now there's just they're all getting the axe, and it's hard to uh, to keep track. But don't worry, there's incompetence out there, and we will call it out. 
there's always plenty of people for the tarmac, but I feel bad for you. I mean, a lot of late nights, a lot of extra cups of coffee trying to keep this report in order. I know. Thank you. Fuentes, adios this week too from Vatek. I mean, that one was overdue. Uh, we finally had enough of him. Um, so you did, Ryan, you had said um, that Duke Virginia Tech was a, what is it, a loser leaves town match. And you were wrong because both guys had to leave town after the game. <laughs> Winner left well, town and the loser says he's going to retire at the end of the year to avoid leaving town. So he, he hasn't officially said it yet. So he gets to stay in the tarmac one more week. After tonight's beatdown, it'll be official. <laughs> I know the podcast won't go up until tomorrow, so it might be too late. But either way, okay. get your last he's words on the tarmac in tonight. <laughs> he's coaching tonight. He's on the tarmac tonight. <laughs> we'll, we'll get a live update on that in a little bit. Very good. All right. Um, why don't we jump into the lines and anything relevant will, I think, come up in the lines. We've also got some really good segments coming up later in the show. We've got a new council of elders, a new city to, to, I, I think, save. Uh, we've got Coach's Restaurant, our favorite segment with Herm Edwards, the one we've been waiting for all year. And the coolest Oregon quarterbacks, 1997 to present, which we've been promising for a few weeks. Very, very loaded show. Looking forward to it. All right, Tom, it's time to do some lines. Let's, let's jump right to Saturday. Michigan State at Ohio State. Mel Tucker on the verge of a $95 million extension uh, from Michigan State. Um, by the way, the Michigan State basketball team opted to not take a flight for their first game of the year, but to take public transportation in order to save fuel costs. Well, that's a crock of shit if they're going to pay $95 million to a coach, but that's a whole other story. Um, Ohio State minus 19. Total 68 and a half. Ohio State scored 100 points last week against Purdue. Michigan State's pass defense has looked quite leaky against uh, both Michigan and Purdue. What do you think, Tom? Is this going to be an Ohio State woodshed, or does Michigan State find a way to keep this one close? Yeah, I don't think so, although I do think Ohio State is um, noticeably better than Michigan State. I think Michigan State's a little overrated. And I think Ohio State is, you know, properly rated right now. Um, I think this is one of those ones that can go either way. And I think it's it's going to be, you could lose it on a garbage time touchdown or, you know, you could win it with a, an 11 point win or a 12 point win. So I think you're going to be sweating it out either way. But to me, Michigan State's got the run game and they've got the talent and the just the toughness to keep this one close within 19. Um, I really like Mel Tucker as a coach. I underestimated him and I, I said, I made a prediction early in the season that it wasn't going to work out well. And I was just way off on that. Um, he's brought a lot of toughness to that team. And this Ohio state team is not very tough for an Ohio state team. They're loaded with like skill position guys, quick guys, but they don't have the toughness they used to have. So I feel like there is, um, a real advantage to Michigan State to just go out and try to push them around early. 
So um, anything could happen in this game. It's it's one of those where no score would ever surprise me, but I'm going to say Ohio State wins it by about 10 or 11 in the end, and I will take the points. And I think um, the over-under is pretty right on, in my opinion. I think you're right, Tom. Uh, I think Michigan State might actually play this one pretty close. Uh, I think they're just going to run the ball, snap the ball at one, take a, a, a cue from how Oregon played Ohio State. They have the running back to do it. Um, it is scary, of course, but um, normally I'm into Ohio State team totals and overs, but I'm going to refrain from both this week, take the points, and cross my fingers. Ryan, you got any thoughts on this one? Woodshed. Yeah, that's bad. They, and, know what, uh, they know what's coming late night in the Pac-12, and they know this is the week to make their move. You're probably right. And uh, a follow-up question, Heisman. C.J. Stroud at 3-1, to one, is that good? good value these days? Yeah, I, I think he's the the front runner. Even though, you know how I feel. If you listen to last week, Jordan Davis is the guy who should get it. Right. I mean, um, especially if Alabama loses to Georgia in the SEC title game, I don't think they can give it to Bryce Young with two losses. No, um, I, I th- no. I mean, Bryce Young. It's just everybody knows it would be a default Heisman. I think they're trying to avoid that. So right. You know, Corral still isn't completely out of it if he just puts up huge numbers. Um, C.J. Stroud seems like the he seems like the easy pick, I guess I would say. The Oklahoma QB situation's all messed up, so those guys are all out of it. And then yep. the other guys who have been playing awesome, Sam Hartman and Kenny Pickett, just like they're just not going to give it to a Pitt or a Wake Forest quarterback. So, yep. I mean, I think you know Walker is still in the mix. I mean, if they beat Ohio state somehow and Michigan state wins the big 10, then Kenneth Walker could certainly get it. But I, I think this is the game like he, him winning is dependent on them pulling an upset here. So I wouldn't um, necessarily bet on that at this point. I think you're right. Z. Uh, I think CJ Stroud's winning it. If Ohio State wins this game, if Ohio State wins this game, then Kenneth Walker's not winning it. However, if Michigan State pulls the upset, Kenneth Walker is winning the Heisman. So um, if you like the Michigan State money line, you might as well check Kenneth Walker Heisman odds and find which one's higher. Go ahead and bet that. I'll tell you why I want CJ Stroud to win it. Um, it's not just because I picked him at the beginning of the year, but it's because this Ohio State quarterback room is absolutely loaded. And Stroud is only a redshirt sophomore, I believe, or a true sophomore, something like that. I mean, he'll be back next year, I believe. And they've just got too much talent, including Quinn Ewers, the number one overall quarterback recruit. And I feel like one or two of these, somebody's leaving Ohio State, and there's going to be one to two really, really good transfer portal guys they could go elsewhere and play. And then you could have, you know, three of these guys all starting somewhere next year, which just makes the sport more exciting. And, uh, Quinn Ewers, you know, I don't, I have no idea what he's thinking, but we know he committed to Texas. So, you know, maybe he'd go back to Sark. I think it would be really interesting 
if he or one or the uh, second stringer whose name escapes me went to Texas A&M because we say that Texas A&M is a elite quarterback away from being a national championship team. And maybe even sure. like L- LSU, depending on, you know, what happens with the coaching situation, Miami with Lane Kiffin. There's a lot of, there's a lot of interesting spots for a transfer portal, highly touted quarterback to go. Good point. See, yeah, very interesting. We'll see what happens. All right, we're moving on. Uh, more early Saturday action. Wake Forest at Clemson. Clemson minus four and a half at home. Total 56 and a half. Wake Forest only plays high scoring games. Clemson only plays low scoring games. Justin Ross out for the year. Foot surgery entering the NFL draft. I'll start this one. I'll kick it to you, Z. Uh, I'm going to take the over. At this point through 10 games, I think every Wake Forest game's gone over at this point. And uh, I don't see how even if Clemson hands it off to their ninth string running back, how, how they don't score 20-something points. But I also kind of like Wake Forest plus four and a half, too. Um, this might be a good hook opportunity and look for a, a high-scoring game. But, Z, what you think? ACC expert. Yeah, uh, agree with you on both counts. Clemson's been better the last couple of weeks. I'm not saying they're good, but they're not the inept offense we remember from a few years ago. They've been putting, putting up some points, moving the ball a little, DJ Uyunglele running the ball a little bit, and they have their other um, quarterback who comes in for Wildcats. So they've they've really pulled out all the stops to um, be able to have some kind of offense. Uh, and then Wake Forest offense is just immaculate. So I like the over. I like Wake Forest. I like Wake Forest to win this game outright. Right. Same Wake in the over. Very good. A uh, couple couple uh, info notes from last week's UConn Clemson game. UConn with the opening possession kick return for a touchdown to go up seven nothing was the greatest moment in the program in the last ten years, and. Um, Clemson's quarterback, DJ, threw the ball 44 times against UConn for only 230 yards. That is not good. I'm just going to go ahead and say they might be moving on from him after this year. It's very possible. 100%. All right. Have, uh, and oh, hang on. I have to address this because there's even more to that. Uh, if they have any other option, then he's getting Kelly Bryanted for sure. I feel like the only reason they haven't done that already is because they just don't have anyone to replace him. Um, UConn, great moment in gambling history. Return the opening kickoff, go up 7-0, don't score again, give up 43 straight, lose 43-7, still cover. That's right. That's what we do. Unbelievable gambling moment. Jim Mora power, ready to go. Mora's been out, Uh, he's been out and about in this area. He's ready. Apparently, um, in order to hire Jim Mora, the UConn AD had to visit Jim Mora in his cabin in Montana for two weeks. Yes. I don't know if you've I, read Idaho, this story. but yes. Idaho, same thing. But yeah. Um, Jim Mora came to, uh, he went to the game at Clemson, the football game. And then the next day he came up to the women's basketball game at Gamble. He took a picture with uh, Paige Beckers, the star of the women's basketball team. And then he took a second picture with Jonathan the Husky. Not not the guy in the costume, but the actual dog. So he know he knows what he's doing. He's ingratiated himself to UConn fans already. 
everybody around here, Dan, is, oh, they're all primed to get their heart broken. It's so lovely to see. Looking forward to it. It's going to be great humor going forward with UConn Husky football. I love it. All right, we're going to the Big 12. Iowa State at Oklahoma. Iowa State, 6-4 and four on the year. Very disappointing season for them. Travels to Oklahoma. Oklahoma laying only three and a half, total 59 and a half. Ryan, what's your feel on this game? Oh, just disappointment. I thought this was going to be, you know, undefeated versus undefeated or one loss versus one loss. This is really disappointing, like you said, for Iowa State. But that being said, I think they still got some fight in them. I think they got some pride. And, you know, three and a half isn't big, but I like that half point. So for me, I'll take the, uh, I'll take the three and a half, but I think this is a field goal game either way. I agree with you. Uh, I think Oklahoma has a real chance to lose again uh, at home. Um, you know, I would say can win this game and kind of, you know, save their season. Matt Campbell can win this game and put his head out there for some other jobs. I think he's taken the first job he's offered and he's out of there, by the way. Uh, even if it's like Washington, um, I think he's gone. Um, I'll take the three and a half and, uh, be interesting to see what happens. Z, you got anything on this one? No, just totally agree about Matt Campbell. He's going to avoid like pulling a Dino and, you know, staying too long at one spot. You know, when he looks good, get out and get a bigger job. Speaking of coaches, potentially on the move. Rutgers at Penn State. Well, we know Shiano's not going anywhere. James Franklin, again, his name keeps getting rumored for big jobs, even the USC job. Penn State, six and four, three and four in the Big Ten. Last year was supposed to be a, a, a terrible COVID one-off year. Three and four in the Big Ten with a loss to Illinois. Penn State laying 17 with a mighty total of 46. Shoot it to me straight, Tom. Um. What, what is the line? 17. 17. Okay. Uh, yeah, they can cover this. Rutgers is no good. Here's the thing about Penn State this year. They are the best 6-4 and four team in the country. And one play really derailed the whole season, and that was the hit by Iowa on Sean Clifford. Had they not hit him and knocked him out of that game, they would have beat Iowa. A healthy Clifford would have beat Illinois. I, I got to say they probably would lose to Ohio state, but you know, they were within 11 points of Ohio state and Clifford was not healthy at all. So anything's possible. And, um, I, I mean, I think he still is not totally healthy. He's hesitant. And I think they would have beat Michigan with him playing in his, you know, the way he was playing the first like four weeks of the season. So <laughs> I think Penn state was one brutal hit away from being what, eight and one, nine and one right now. And so I, and I love the defense. I don't like the offense. You know, I think I'm not saying that their offense would have been awesome with a better Clifford, but I'm just saying they were so close in most of these games. Sean Clifford would have gotten one of those two point conversions in one of the first eight overtimes against Illinois. I can guarantee you that if he was healthy, the the guy we saw out there was not the real Sean Clifford. So, um, Franklin's an awesome recruiter, especially on the defensive end. This defense is maybe the best defense I've ever seen at Penn State. They've been asked to do too much, and uh, it just hasn't worked out. But 
you know, I'm a James Franklin defender. I am kind of for the first time in his career there. I am kind of concerned that he may actually leave and take one of these jobs. And it'll be kind of the situation with Bill O'Brien. It's just like, I, I can't, even though I don't like it that he would, he might leave. I can't really hold it against him if he wants to go to USC or LSU or something like that. You know, at some point you just have to be like, good for you. Um, so I don't even know like what Penn state would do next, but they've, he's left. He, if he leaves, he's left them with a good recruiting base. They have a really good, highly touted quarterback coming in next year who gets Josh Allen comparisons. So, um, you know, more power to him. Um, take Penn, lay the points with Penn state this week. Rutgers is no good. Uh, Penn state has been really good against like Maryland and teams of that caliber. So I don't um, see a problem as long as Clifford should be fine enough. And Dan, one last note, do you realize that Mel Tucker and his Michigan state team have been using the slogan, keep chopping this year? No, I I don't, I don't like this. This is, it's in the same division as Rutgers. You can't do that. It's not like you're out at like UCLA saying keep chopping and people could be like, uh, is that, is that derivative? Is it a coincidence? I mean, you're, you're in the division. I feel like Rutgers has to file some kind of cease and desist. <laughs> I think you're totally right. There can only be one chopper. There is only one chopper in my book. Um, all right. Well, we're going to go to the third consecutive disappointing team in a row. I want to talk about six and four Iowa State, six and four Penn State. And this is way worse than that. Four and six Texas. Fresh off a loss to Kansas at home as a 30 point favorite. Travels to West Virginia in the middle of fucking nowhere in the cold in West Virginia's land three points. I'll take this one. Lock of the week, West Virginia. Easy. West Virginia at home is, is really good. And it's every year they're good. And it, it even happens this year. They're good at home, terrible on the road. And uh, the Longhorns are terrible. Bijan Robinson's out for the year. Their number two or three wide receiver uh, just decided to leave the program after getting a fight with Sark at practice. Sark just got the old... Uh, support approval from the AD, which is always bad. No, no good. This is a total fucking shit show. If you bet Texas, you are a moron. Texas might might win and recover, but this is like, this is like, if, if you put money on Texas, you have no idea how to bet sports. So bet West Virginia, enjoy your easy money. Texas is not making a bowl. End of story. Ryan? Uh... My only comment is that there's rumors that, you know, like uh, when you get a DUI, they put those little breathalyzer in your car and you got to blow into it. Won't start for 24 hours. I heard they got one outside of Sark's office. I don't know if that's true, but I heard they put a, after the Kansas game, I heard they put a breathalyzer. He can't go in his office or make recruiting calls until he blows in the, in the breathalyzer. So he's I, on the hot seat. I, I heard uh Vince young steakhouse is only allowed to serve Shirley temples for the next three weeks. <laughs> God, those were great comments, boys. Very proud of you both. Good job. 
All right, we're uh, we're, we're going down the list here. Um, here's one, just for fun. Illinois travels to Iowa. Iowa laying 12 and a half. Total 38 and a half. Normally, Tom, I kick it to you for the Big Ten, but not, not this time. You're going to want to go ahead and take over 38 and a half. Our favorite Illinois coach is out with COVID. The whole team's going to be in a good mood. They're going to score some points. They're not going to play a lot of defense because he ain't going to be there screaming at them. 38 and a half, not enough. The second lock of the week. Actually, fuck the first one. This is the real lock of the week. Over 38 and a half, Iowa, Illinois. Guarantee. Tom, thoughts on COVID and Brett Bilema? No, I'm glad you took this one because I don't want it, frankly. Frankly. Well, it's easy money. You'll see. Just like when uh, John Donovan was, was not in the pitcher against term, that over was very easy to come in. It's happening. Ryan. No, thank you. Pass. (laughs) You guys are missing out on easy money. Okay, fine. We're going to the, 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 the three 30 Vern Lundquist game of the week. The honorary Vern Lundquist game of the week, Arkansas at Alabama. Arkansas has had a hell of a year. Uh, seven and three, um, couple nice wins, competitive, like, just outstanding. Uh, they travel to Alabama, who's Alabama, but you know they're they're just not quite as good as they used to be um, over the past couple of years. Nonetheless, Alabama minus twenty and a half total, fifty eight and a half. Ryan, what you got? This is like a total stay away for me. This is Vegas nailing this one right on the head. That's a lot of points for this Alabama team to cover. They haven't really, you know, blown a lot of teams out like that, that bad. And a team like Arkansas especially is not the type of team that typically gets blown out. That being said, they're also not necessarily a backdoor cover threat. So if they're down, you know, 31 to 10 at the half, they might be in serious trouble. But – for me, I don't I don't like either number. I'm gonna stay away from this one. See? Yeah, I don't really have much to add besides uh saying that like I I just don't think this year's Alabama team is really uh elite the way they've been before. And uh I don't consider them a real like I, I don't think they're winning a national championship. I'll put it that way. So and, and they just don't dominate teams the way they have before. So, you know, it happens. They got the best recruiting class ever coming in, so they'll be back. But um, I'm, I'm kind of, I guess I'm, I'm kind of out on Alabama for the rest of the year. I agree. Um, I don't know if Arkansas is uh, able to handle this environment. I, I have no clue. I'm not wagering this game whatsoever. I'm going to stay away from it. This is also a look-ahead game for the Iron Bowl. Yeah. True. It was supposed to be the easy, you know, uh, the easy game right before the Iron Bowl, but Arkansas turned out to be a half-decent squad, so a little bit tricky of a spot. Good call. Good call, Ryan. All right. SMU with their 
Oklahoma transfer Tanner Mordecai does 37 passing touchdowns, travels into Cincinnati to try to kill Cincinnati's dream. Cincy minus 11 and a half, total 65. Tom, Cincinnati's looked terrible lately for the most part, uh, but they keep winning. Are they going to win this game and are they going to cover the 11 and a half? So I don't completely agree with that. I mean, they've been, they haven't been dominating teams, but they've been ending up winning by a couple touchdowns in these last couple of games. I, I mean, I think the expectations were perhaps too high. I think they've done fine. They've, they've looked as good as like Oklahoma looked in their wins in previous weeks before uh, the loss. But um, I've been saying this for a few weeks and I thought this was the spot where Cincinnati was, could potentially be in trouble. So um, I'm going to take the points and I'm, I guess I'm just going to predict it outright. I think SMU goes in and beats Cincinnati. I think Cincinnati's wow. dream dies on Saturday. I like it, Tom. I'm going to take SMU in the points as well. Their, their offense can score. A lot of pressure on Cincinnati. Uh, I believe uh, the um, NCAA is going to pay off the referees hundred grand each in suitcases with cash before the game to make sure this game's close. Um, it's just a tough spot to lay an 11 and a half. Uh, I'm, I'm going to take SMU. Ryan, what you like? I like the over. Um, I know Cincinnati's a defensive team. Uh, unless it's going to be really, really bad weather. Um, I haven't checked that, but it, unless the weather is really bad, I uh, I kind of like the over. And the 65 in a game like this doesn't seem that high for college football. Truth. I like it, Tom. Good pick. And Ryan, both of you. All right. Um Real quick, I'm just going to mention this. Uh, Virginia got waxed by Notre Dame last week, but that's because their quarterback, uh, Brandon Armstrong, was out with injury. Um, if he's back this week and they're playing at Pitt, go ahead and take the over 66. There will be 80 or 90 points scored in that game. But if he's out, uh, just take Pitt. I just wanted to mention that real quick. We don't need to go into details. Uh, actually, right. I do want to add one detail. Yeah, go ahead. The reason, the reason, I think the reason he sat out was because that game was actually a – non-conference game Correct. so it didn't really matter if they lost towards their chance to win the ACC whatever division good point you're totally right uh they're actually four and two in the ACC and if they beat Pitt they'll knock Pitt down to five and two they both be five and two they have a tiebreaker so good point on that uh maybe he plays this week might want to grab the 14 and a half with Virginia now uh because Virginia can score some points and Pitt Pitt is is Really strange, as we know. Um, Narduzzi has been known to play some strange games. Like right now we're watching Louisville against Duke on Thursday Night Football. Louisville's got like 500 points. Malik Cunningham's got 250 rushing and 200 and something passing. Same thing. Um, But this is the same Pitt team that like went on the road to Duke and Duke hung like 20-something on them in the first half, which just makes no sense. Uh, So over Virginia, possible hook. We'll take a look at that. Dan, All right, Tom. Let me no ju- let me around. jump in for a second here. Okay, I'm sorry. I should have wanted to detail on this game. Go ahead. I, I just you know we got a lot of content for today's show, and so I want to spread out some of these uh, famous segments that we do. And so I, I thought maybe if we can do Georgia Tech Notre Dame, then we can uh, segue into um, a little segment we got coming up. So 
Maybe first, you know, Notre Dame minus 17 and a half at home against Georgia Tech. Does anyone have a pick on that game? I'll take Notre Dame. Uh, they're trying to sneak their way in the playoff as the number four seed uh, in a shady uh, situation like they've been known to do the past couple of years. I really hope they do sneak in as the four somehow, and then uh, Georgia completely shuts them out. That'd be great. So um, fuck those guys, basically. Ryan? Georgia Tech's terrible. They're, like, yeah. really, really terrible. So – that's that's easy money. That's a woodshed. I think this is an easy one, and I'm with you. I get this feeling that Notre Dame's going to make a push to sneak in as that four seed. And if that's the case, if it's Georgia as a one and Notre Dame at a four, look at the over-under, look at the line, and just ask yourself, can Georgia score this many points? Because that's it. Notre Dame is going to, they're getting a goose egg in that game. So it's literally just what can Georgia score? And that's your over, under, and your spread. So the spread, perhaps the spread, it could be the first ever game where the spread and the over, under are the same number. Um, but, <laughs> Notre Dame team, team total, 0.5. Yeah. Jo- Georgia minus 31, over, under 31. That's it. <laughs> All right. So we got, we got Georgia tech and uh, now we just talked about Georgia. So this sets us up perfectly because the city of Hotlanta is uh, both on the verge of, you know, we're, we're going to count basically the whole state of Georgia here, but they've got a shitty team, Georgia tech that really needs help, some wise help from some elders. And they've got a team that is poised to win a national championship, but whose fans are a little hesitant because they haven't won since 1980 and they're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. So we figured it's a good time to do our council of elders for Atlanta. And uh, more broadly, we're going to include Athens and really the whole state of Georgia in this one. So Atlanta council of elders, Dan and Ryan, who are we calling in? What, What are the big guns we're calling in? There's so many. There are so many. There are so many, Tom. It's hard to really really uh narrow this one down um ryan go ahead why don't you take the top top pick with this one well if i'm going to go with the top pick my number one draft choice not necessarily a football guy he's more known in the basketball world however in the greater scheme of the world itself he is considered to be the coolest guy of all time with the most street cred and a lot of ability to influence on television. And that would be our boy, Ernie Johnson, University of Georgia alum, TNT studio analyst with the greatest TV show in sports history with Shaq and Kenny and Charles and Ernie running the show, Ernie can control anything. If he can control that, he's my number one draft choice. He's the king of Georgia. All right. Um, I'm going Andre 3000 with the second overall pick. Uh, half of Outcast or a third, half of Outcast. Um, he's been around for a while. Funny guy, a lot of street cred, knows Atlanta, not much else to say. Andre 3000, second pick. 
It's a good pick. I, I had I, I had Outcast in general on my list, but yes, if you want to narrow it between the two, that's that's a fine play. Thank you. Okay, now we need some funding, so we got to go to the guy that has the most money, and that would be Atlanta Falcons owner Arthur Blank, owner of Home Depot. He can build you any training facilities you need. He can build your parents a nicer house. He can buy them some supplies to do that kitchen renovation with that bag of cash that you're going to give to him to sign. You got to go to Arthur Blank. The Falcons are awful. Here's the time to convert him. He already hosts the SEC title game every year. So you just move him over from the Falcons full time to Georgia college football. <laughs> it's pretty good. Time, or pretty good, Ryan. Um, wow. Uh, I'm going to keep going with hip hop. There's so many options here. You could go Kanye. You could go Migos. I'm going to go with Future as the fourth option because he had Sierra before Russell Wilson, and he had sex with Scottie Pippen's wife at that that um that uh, led to a divorce and then he rapped about it and what he wore during the incident too. So future pick four respect. It, it is that sort of confidence is what the Georgia bulldog fans could use to get over their 40 year drought. Future is, is maybe the most confident of all rappers. And I got, I don't really, I don't listen to future, but I have tons of respect for that man. And, uh, I like what he's done in the studio and out of the studio as well. I one spot left, Ryan. This one goes to you. Well, I feel like we need a football person on here. Unfortunately, the most famous football player from Georgia is a crazy person. So he's out. So we have to go to the coolest football player who really embodies what we're looking for if we're trying to turn around a program, someone who has grit, someone who has flexibility, who can change positions, someone who's a champion, who's won a Super Bowl MVP, <laughs> has a great personality, and that's Heinz Ward. Yes. That's right. Heinz Ward is the number one football player in from Georgia He's the one that we're going to use to build around. He has the brightest TV personality and the best like charisma. You got to put Heinz Ward on there. All right. Very good. So we got Heinz Ward. We got Arthur blank. We got future. We got Andre 3000 and we got Ernie Johnson. I think that's a pretty uh, diverse, good mix of people who can, who've got a winning experience and can turn Georgia Tech around and who can uh, push Georgia, you know, over that final line. Our Council of Elders for Atlanta. Good job, fellas. All right, Dan, uh, let's finish up some games and then we got a couple big segments for the end. We do, Tom. All right, we're going to power through here. Syracuse at NC State. Syracuse sitting at five and five. Travels to NC State. Syracuse looked pretty terrible last week uh, on the road against Louisville. NC State laying 11 and a half, total of 50 and a half. 
Go ahead, boys. Tom, any chance Syracuse covers this game and or wins? I don't think the Orangemen are going to a bowl this year, Danny. <laughs> they, I know that it was Lamar Jackson's, um, you know, uh, Jersey retirement. So Louisville went into that game with extra motivation, but SU played really, really bad under any circumstance. And I can't bet on that team again after seeing that. No, Brian. Did somebody say segments? <laughs> we set them up. You knock them down. Because this is your captain speaking. <laughs> We're going to be taxiing back to the gate. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> Coach Babers has been summoned back to the gate. So hold on, folks. We can't serve drinks just yet. <laughs> oh, boy. Here we go, folks. Tarmac Report, Week 12. Getting the list is getting tougher to make, but don't worry, we got some num- names here. And coming at number five, making his debut on the tarmac, Dino Babers. We've held out. I've been a homer, even though I'm not really a Syracuse fan. I have been a homer, not putting him on the list, but there are no more excuses to completely no show in a road game when you, you know, you're trying to get bowl eligible. It's like, it's like watching an NBA team tank and like you just completely no showed. So Dino number five, you're on the list. Number four, there's only one left. So we got to keep Butch, the legacy of Butch alive, Butch Jones. Oh, God, we talk about it too much. I want to move on. Number three, Colorado State, Steve Adazio. Oh, boy. Oh, man. That mile high air is is really affecting the dudeness of his roster. He's, He's having trouble. He's getting the wrong kinds of dudes. Colorado dudes are a different type of dude. And these guys are no good. But that's because he's no good. Speaking of no good, I've turned it off because it was completely unwatchable. But Duke Louisville was on TV for a little bit. Cutcliffe, I heard you're retiring. It's a rumor. That's just because you don't want to get fired. They're going to let you go out with dignity. You and Coach K in the same year. No one will even remember. But it doesn't matter. You're on the tarmac this week. Number one, yet again, down in the swamp. They deserve better. I don't care how many assistant coaches you fire and try to throw under the bus, Mullen. It's not the coaching. It's all of it. You have a terrible attitude. You're not a good recruiter. You don't care enough about recruiting. And at the state of Florida, when Lane comes to Miami and starts murdering you guys, you better get out now. You got to get rid of Mullen now because if the U hires Lane, 
your state is toast. He's going to dominate the state. Fire him now and get somebody good. And Sark, you're on my watch list. Stay off the sauce this Thanksgiving. <laughs> I love that the tarmac now, like real, real airlines now has its own watch list. You're not quite there, but there's just so many. And we talked at the top of the show about how many guys had been fired and how many previous tarmac uh, residents were already gone. And you just listed a murderer's row of bad coaches. So it just, it, there's no <laughs> lack of talent in that department. Oh no, there, trust me. I could go 10 deep if I needed to. Can I tell you my nightmare scenario as a Penn state fan is that James Franklin takes the USC job and Penn state hires Dan Mullen or recently fired Dan Mullen to replace him. If that's, that's it, it I, you'd be a Penn state fan game over. Yeah. I, I, well, if that happens, you guys are, we're going to spend a whole episode where you guys just help me pick a new team. Maybe I'll go <laughs> chop some wood. It's geographically close, right? I love it. it I guess takes, I can be a Yukon fan, time, right? It takes him some time to wear out his welcome. He'll beat Ohio State once in the first three years. That's a lock, 100%. Then he gets the four-year extension, and that's when he just stops. Let's move on. It's bad. All right. I'm going to keep this one real quick. Florida at Missouri. No one cares what the spread is. Total 69. Go ahead and bet the over. It doesn't matter what the number is, who's playing quarterback for Missouri. Paul Pasqualoni on the road. Missouri over. No arguments. I don't need to hear anything from either of you two. We're moving on. Tom, game of the year. Civil conflict weekend. UConn Husky football travels to UCF. You can tell it's a rivalry game because the odds makers have lowered the spread to just 30 and a half (laughs) for Central Florida (laughs) with a total of 55 and a half. A lot of respect for the rivalry there. Uh, Tom, (laughs) go ahead. It's basketball season. (laughs) It is. I mean, UConn fans are rejuvenated with the hiring of Jim, don't call me Junior, Mora. Uh, And we're ready for next year, Dan. We're looking forward to it. We got high hopes. And uh, we don't need to think about this year. Didn't happen. It's not currently happening. Paige Beckers is looking really strong over for UConn women's. And uh, that's it. This game is not happening, much like the 2011 Fiesta Bowl. It's not real. Nope. 2010 Fiesta Bowl. You know what I'm talking about. So, Same thing. Uh, I will respectfully pass, and uh, the real civil conflict begins next year. Hey, I want to just one thing with uh, the Paige uh, Beckers or whatever. Mm-hmm. She may have signed the coolest of the all the NIL deals so far. To get with StockX, like nineteen year old college student, and you get your deal with StockX, like that's that's a pretty good one. That's one of the better ones I've heard so far. Good for her. All right, Tom. Moving on. This is all you talking about segments. Overrated Oregon travels on the road to our Tinder team Utah. 
Number three ranked Oregon. Late, getting three points as an underdog at number 23, Utah, just shows you how much the poll numbers mean nothing when it comes to spreads. Total 59. Ryan, go ahead. Utah money line. That's this is it. We talk about it every year, eight years in a row. This is one of the five hardest stadiums in college football to win. It's going to be 5.30, which means it's going to be dark in Utah. Cold as hell in Utah. Colder than Oregon for sure. So I love Utah in this spot. I ride or die with the Utes. Let's do this. Oregon sucks. <laughs> they do. Z, go ahead. I think you have a lot to talk about with Oregon. Yeah, let's uh, let's skip the game. Spillett covered it nicely, and uh, we've been teasing this for a few weeks, but let's talk about Oregon quarterbacks, the coolest Oregon quarterbacks of the last 25 years. And this is going to be a, a joint discussion. I'm not just going to pick this myself, but let me do a little, a little history. So, you know, Oregon had some good QBs, dating back to the 90s and 80s and Danny O'Neill and Tony Graziano. But we're going to start in 1997, which is when the Oregon quarterback position became, you know, more nationally known and they started getting some draft picks and uh, it's about 25 years. So we start 97 to 98, Achilles Smith, third pick overall to the Cincinnati Bengals, famously injured, but he was the, the breakthrough at Oregon where they realized like, oh, they're attracting pro quality, first round quality quarterbacks. 1999, we had AJ Feely. Uh, he famously went on to play for those Rams teams, backing up Kurt Warner and getting some playing time there. Then uh, Joey Harrington, another third overall pick for the Detroit Lions. Of course, that didn't pan out because it's the Lions. 2002, Jason Fife. I do not remember this guy at all. I don't know about you guys. Uh, then we had 2003 to 2005, Kellen Clemens, who went on to be a second round pick for the Jets and uh, was a classic Jets quarterback, uh, overreached and uh, played a few games and didn't pan out. Then Dennis Dixon, we'll talk about all these guys in a little bit, we'll, but uh, went to the Steelers. So we'll let Dan touch on that one. Uh, he was followed in 08 and 09 by Jeremiah Masoli, who, um, you know, eventually went to the 49ers. Then Darren Thomas, who probably had the least successful pro career, but he's the one who took them to the national championship game against Cam Newton, where they had a chance to win, if not for that weird play where uh, Die fell and didn't actually touch. Then 2012 to 2014, of course, Marcus Mariota. 2015, Vernon Adams, the Eastern Washington transfer, and then Justin Herbert, a four-year starter. And then things have dropped off a little the last couple of years. Tyler Shuck and Anthony Brown. So uh, let me just name the guys who fall to the bottom of this list. And you guys tell me if you have any comments. Jason Fife, who I don't remember at all. Vernon Adams, the Eastern Washington transfer. And then uh, Tyler Shuck and then Anthony Brown, of course, this year. Um, thoughts on any of those guys or are those clearly our bottom four? Those are your four at the bottom for sure. Anthony Brown, not great. Uh, the one last year, terrible. Um, 
Yeah, but there's some really good ones in there, though. Ryan, what you think? No, that's right. Okay. So from there, let's flip and start at the top. So I'm just going to toss it out to you guys. Who is the coolest Oregon quarterback of all time and why? I will say, oh. I will say to me, it comes down to a three man competition between Justin Herbert, Marcus Mariota and, uh, Darren Thomas. Oh, but I welcome other suggestions. Dennis Dixon was amazing until he tore his ACL. He was that, that Oregon team in 07, which is one of the weirdest years in college football. There's a great YouTube video about t- 2007 college football and it goes through every week and shows you all the crazy upsets. That Oregon team would have won the national championship in 07 with Dennis Dixon. Um, but although Mariota broke all the records and Herbert is a great in the pros, I think it's actually Darren Thomas. Because I think that was peak Oregon, Chip Kelly, Michael James, Black Mamba, uh, super fun, all the uniform changes. That's when Oregon was the coolest team in the country. So I'm going with Darren Thomas, but Dennis Dixon, a great what if uh, story. And, you know, hats off to him for coming back from that knee injury and making it in the NFL for a little while, backup quarterback. He was always pretty good when he came in as a backup for the Steelers. I was happy to see him in there. So um, I'm going Darren Thomas. Ryan? To me, it's easy. It's Dennis Dixon. Um, I don't even think it's close. Uh, to me, it's, it's he's head and shoulders. When I think of Oregon, modern Oregon football, I think of Dennis Dixon first. He was the first one that when I watched him, I said to myself, college football is changing. This is what it's going to be. Darren Thomas took it to the next level with little Michael James and, and Barner and those guys. But to me, it started with Dixon. He was the coolest. He was the one that should have went to the pros first, um, you know, and had that opportunity at least to be a different type of quarterback in the NFL um, he could throw the ball too. Like he really could throw the ball. Um, he had a better arm than, than Darren Thomas, better arm than Mazzoli. I think he had a better arm than Mariota even, you know, so to me, Dixon's number one. Okay. Yeah. I mean, for me, that era is clearly the best era of, uh, Oregon football from Dennis Dixon through Mariota. And so I, I put those guys as my top three in some order, uh, not counting Masoli. So um, I guess my next question would be, how does Justin Herbert factor into this? Because he obviously is really cool and super good, but he kind of came after the peak of Oregon football when they were working with a different system and some, you know, not as good coaches. How do you rank him among this list? College football, I think he's like third or fourth. You know, he might turn out to be of all the pros, you know, like number the you know number one pro out of Oregon. But he's the same dude who, with everything on the line two years ago, went into Arizona State and laid a huge egg. He looked terrible. Like so, Darren Thomas, Dixon, Mariota, all better quarterbacks at Oregon than Herbert. All right. Um let me throw out a few of the other guys who, you know, went on to the NFL and just 
give me your thoughts and like who you would put at the top of this uh, sort of like second or third tier. So you've got Masoli, you've got Kellen Clemens, and then uh, going back further, Joey Harrington and Achilles Smith. Anybody really stand out from that group? Ryan. Man, I really liked Harrington. I thought he was going to be a good pro, and he got cursed so bad going to Detroit, especially going to Detroit in an era where you just don't leave. Like, if it was nowadays and he was drafted by Detroit, he's like, I'm out after the first contract. We're done here. I can go sign elsewhere. Anyone would want me. But they just absolutely ruined him. And I'm convinced that if he got drafted by a different team, he has a completely different NFL career. Um, so for me, Harrington's the kind of the top of the next tier uh, above the rest. Uh, I guess I'll put in a good word for Achilles Smith. Uh, I feel like similarly, I don't know that he would have been great no matter where he was drafted or what team he went to. Obviously going to the Bengals always hurts everybody. Um, you know, Joe Burrow, TBD or chase, but like prior to two years ago, it was like the kiss of death. Um, but I wouldn't let that overshadow how cool he was and the great things he did at Oregon. You know, he kind of, as I said, was the start of this modern era coming off, you know, they didn't make the Rose bowl in 94. So it's not like they were slouches before, but to me, he's where they started to kind of be cool and be known as like a quarterback university. And so I give him credit for, for start, starting it and being sort of like at the genesis of all that. Anybody else you want to talk about, fellas? I mean, otherwise I'll just do a quick recap. It sounds like we got a uh, Darren Thomas and Dennis Dixon are our two coolest Oregon quarterbacks, uh, followed by Mariota, third Herbert fourth. And then we've got, uh, I'm going to say Joey Harrington in fifth, Achille in sixth. And, uh, then you got just some cluster of like a Kellen Clement, like probably Masoli, <laughs> Clemens, AJ Feely. And, uh, I guess the final question would just be Anthony Brown and the future of Oregon as like a high flying team with cool quarterbacks. You think it's the end of an era? You think we're done or you think um, we might see like a cool Oregon team again? I think it's the end of an era. I think they're switching their identity to a defensive first team to uh, they're changing it up. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, obviously they're, they're, you know, continuing to do well. I mean, they're ranked three in the country, you know, yada, yada, they're in good shape, but, in terms of coolness, they're not going to be as cool as, as they were with Chip. I mean, that was, that was fun as hell. You know, they made a national title game um, against Auburn and played right down to the, to the whistle, which was really impressive. Um, no, they're, they're, it's, that, it, it's, it's over for uh, the fun of Oregon. Chip was rumored for uh, the Washington job already, which doesn't really make sense to me totally, unless he has some kind of personal connection to the North, but, uh, I think it would be cool to have him up in Washington competing against Oregon every single year. Yeah. It'd be fun to I watch. Agree. I don't know if it's a great career move, but 
All right. Uh, let's uh, close out with any other games you have left on your list. And of course we have our coach's restaurant and then we'll call it a night. We got two games left to talk about Tom late, 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 late game, Colorado state and Steve Adazio gets on a plane in, in Colorado flies to Hawaii and they're laying two and a half points at Hawaii. Incorrect. Go ahead and take Hawaii plus the points. Um, home field advantage. Cordero's back at quarterback. Steve Adazio. Colorado State's three and seven. What am I missing here? I don't know. I don't care. I, I know. I know Hawaii lost to UNLV, but that's on the road in Las Vegas. If you're from the island and you get on a plane and you go to Vegas, a lot of distractions, and it finally caught up to somebody. So, uh, likewise, Colorado State will be happy to get out of the cold-ass November air, go to Hawaii, lose a game, don't care. Steve Adazio already alienated his team once this year. He'll probably do it again at the press conference. And uh, Hawaii, any, any other thoughts on that one, anybody? I just have a quick thought on a game that we're not going to pick, but it's Florida State goes to Boston College. We talk about Boston College every year as there's the one warm weather team that goes up and is frigidly cold in a BC night game and loses. This game's at noon. I just want to know, Boston College, what are you doing? Like, this is the game that you would win based on weather alone. You just have to schedule this for 7 or 8 o'clock. So, big error by Boston College there. But, you know, Dan, you've said many times Boston College does suck. So, maybe not surprising. I'm worried that the Steelers are going to draft the BC quarterback in like round five this year. He's from Pittsburgh. No, they, he, he has a Pittsburgh last name, like Yurkovich. That makes sense. Uh, I'm, I'm petrified that they're going to think he's the answer at quarterback. We all I'm know, already, we all know who's starting for the Steelers next year, but maybe Mr. Haskins, um, uh, Mr. Kenny Pickett, Kenneth Pickett. I, I wish it's not going to happen. It's going to be Yurkovich round five. And I'm going to kill myself. They're going to get them both. They're going to get Pickett, <laughs> That's fine. Pickett round good. one. Yurkovich, they're going to get like round four. And they're going to have to trade the rest of their draft picks to get those two guys. So that'll be your whole draft. Not great, Tom. All right. Last game. And um, also, I believe Florida State has won every game with Jordan Travis under, under center, the whole game. Is that correct? I believe I read that. Yeah. yeah, They're all right. Florida state's been getting better. So I, I actually do like Florida state in that game. If they just put it at night, it would be a perfect game for Boston college. Last game, Arizona state at Oregon state, Arizona state seven and three somehow after a comeback come from behind victory over Washington. Oregon State's been a good story this year. Uh, better than expected. Six and four overall, overall, four and three in the Pac-12. ASU lay in three, and I don't like it. Uh, Corvallis is not the easiest place to play. It's going to be cold. It's late November. It's been unseasonably warm here in Arizona. It's been in the 80s and 90s still. Uh, this does not bode well for, for Herm and the Sun Devils. Ryan, what do you think? Totally agree. This is this is a spot where 7-3 versus 6-4, it's basically the same thing. Um, like you said, I love what Oregon State's doing this year. They're, I think they're on the right track, and they're moving in the right direction. Um, 
you know, I think they have a chance to, you know, potentially emerge as maybe the second best team in the, uh, in the Pac-12 North. So in the next couple of years. So I like Oregon State in this spot too. So you two are Arizonans. Um, give an East Coaster like me a quick state of the union on Arizona State's program. Where are we at? Not going days? anywhere. They are stuck Sanction. in the mud. Sanction is probably right. Like people thought this was the year they'd compete for the for the Pac-12. You know, they got three losses again. They no showed a game at home against Washington State. Um, you know, just same old complete fucking nonsense. You know, it doesn't matter if it's Todd Graham or Herm Edwards. ASU thinks that they're a powerhouse program, but they just got to realize that they're like always going to be the 23rd ranked team. Like that's just who they are, you know? And uh, I guess same old, same old is my answer. So with that in mind, perhaps Herm Edwards, the coach could be looking for new employment sometime in the near future. He's not on the hot seat right at the moment, but things change quickly. So uh, our favorite segment coaches restaurant, we try to help coaches with this difficult transition in their life when they move on from coaching and they're looking for another career that fits their skill set. One career that we think it could be fitting is restaurant manager. Dan, you're in the biz. You know a lot about restaurants and, you know, skill sets and what you need to succeed where. Uh, what restaurant would Herm Edwards be best qualified to manage? Another very hard decision this week, Tom. Herm is a uh... He's quite the character. He is, uh, you know, he's coach for the Jets and Chiefs. He was on ESPN for a while. He's now at Arizona State. He had that famous play when he was a player where he returned the fumble for a touchdown. He's very quotable. He's endless comedy. And that's where I really focused. What's more endless than the breadsticks at Olive Garden? So, therefore... Olive Garden is the restaurant that Herm would be most fitted to be at. Olive Garden, biggest Italian franchise in America. Um, they have endless breadsticks, much like Herm has endless quotes. And whether it's you play to win the game or his intro press conference, Arizona State talking about, you know, Sun Devils or just various nonsense. Um, I believe Ryan had a segment a couple of years ago just where he went through the weekly presser and had quotes on Herm Edwards. So endless. Uh, Herm is also a complete um, e enigma and a, a mystery, much like a lot of the food is an enigma and a mystery. Why do they have something called a vegetarian lasagna with chicken? That doesn't make any sense, but it's on their menu. They have chicken that isn't really chicken on their menu that comes in a can. That's a mystery. They have Various strange cheeses as well, stuff that I've never even heard of. So he'll fit in there. He'll make up some stories about where the chicken and cheese actually came from or what's vegetarian about that chicken lasagna. But um, it'll be entertaining and it'll be sloppy and um, full of allegations. And that's basically why Herm would fit in well at Olive Garden. How many weeks would he be working there before he realized they don't just serve olives? <laughs> six to eight weeks Ryan you love Herm anything you want to add to that look it's it's 
No, it's perfect. Dan nailed it. I got nothing. <laughs> that right. vegetarian lasagna with chicken line is true. So I did my research and they were and I was going through like the history of Olive Garden and this like consulting firm came in five, six years ago to look at their menu and they were like, why the fuck is there an item called vegetarian lasagna with chicken? So they made Olive Garden take that menu item off nationwide. As soon as I read that, I was like, that's perfect. Herm Edwards makes total sense. Sign him up. Vegetarian <laughs> so, lasagna with chicken. Yep. The story of my life, Dan. The story <laughs> of my life. 15 years of this shit. Yeah, they go to, I go to a Chinese restaurant with you. I get the vegetable fried rice. They're like, don't worry. We're going to put about a quarter cup of pork <laughs> yep. all over the top of your vegetable fried rice. Mm-hmm. I'm like, hey, Dan, good thing we got the family size to share. Enjoy <laughs> all of this rice for yourself. I've benefited many fried rices. <laughs> what is the uh, success failure rate of the, the vegetarian order? Like how many times does it come with meat by accident? It's gotten better. Oh, it's it's very low. Like the, the coming with meat part is very, very low. It's more just screwing up orders in general is hilarious but uh no i don't i don't really i know what places to avoid um what any well we got to wrap it up um there's so much more we could talk about i still want to talk about limp biscuit but i don't want to shortchange them um anything else you guys want to add in a minute or two before we call it a night Not really. Uh, one small oddity for Utah this week is if they beat Oregon, then uh, Oregon's probably still going to go to the Rose Bowl, which means they get a lower bowl. But if they lose to Oregon, Oregon gets to go to the playoff, and then Utah gets to go to the Rose Bowl, which is very strange. It's a scheduling anomaly. So they're almost incentivized to lose in a weird way. Yeah, that's I know the one the, thing that's very weird. Yeah, I mean, I know, uh, you know, they're not going to think of it that way and they're not going to, I'm not suggesting they would tank, but it, that's a weird, weird incentive. Yeah, for sure. Um, no, outside of that business as usual. Um, no, looking forward to getting this college football weekend over with because next weekend is always my favorite weekend of the year. Uh, rivalry weekend, a lot of great games, a lot of Shang sunging and uh, coaches getting the ax Sunday morning. Thanksgiving after Thanksgiving. It's always a nice, warm, warm, welcoming weekend. Can we, can we, uh, last note from me guys, can we dub the Oregon Utah game, the Ed Hockley bowl for the fact that combined these two head coaches can do the most push-ups of any two coach matchup head coach matchup in the country. Correct. These are the two most jacked coaches in the country. And uh, yeah, so I dubbed this the Ed Hockley Bowl. I like it. I didn't even think about that. But yeah, these are the two most jacked coaches in America. All right. Thank you all for listening. A lot of, a lot of good segments. I'm very happy with this week's show. Uh, we'll be back at some point next week for Thanksgiving and hope to see you then. Bye. Bye. Thank you.
Take the point, take the point, take the point.